Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. Okay, so 2 Samuel 6. David again gathered all chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Bele Judah and bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on the new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines, castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of God come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of God into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told to King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those bore the ark of God had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and and all of the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came to the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought out the ark of the Lord and set it in place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. 
And David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as a prince over Israel and the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself celebrate before the, before the Lord. And I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Very exciting, very cool. Uh, hi, my name is Adam, one of the leaders here at the church, and I'm excited to continue on in our sermon series, The Practice of Presence. And the big idea with this is, uh, what does it really look like to experience the presence of God through the mundane practices of spiritual disciplines, right? Hey, you've been in church for a while, right? And it's all, okay, got to read my Bible, got to pray more, la-di-da, right? It's kind of a can feel like a mundane practice, but where in there and how, how do we experience the presence of God, right? Like it says in that video, it's supernatural. It comes supernaturally. And so what's that all about? And that's what we're going to look at. And throughout the series, we've touched on things like hearing, trusting, and obeying God. We've touched on self-examination and confession. Actually, when we do that, we can experience the presence of God. Restoring relationships. Silence and solitude. Sharing your faith. Do you believe that yet that when you share your faith, you actually experience more of the presence of God? Interesting thing to think about, right? What about uh, Sabbath or community or stewardship or serving? Do you believe that in your serving, you actually experience more of the presence of God? Interesting thing to think about. <clears throat> um, and now we're going to talk about worship. It's kind of like a big big topic to process, right? And so we're going to do our best. <laughs> um, and so I guess it made sense that I kind of do this because I kind of lead our, our worship team. But, uh, but something to think about too, like <clears throat> God called me uh, back to Toronto from Australia to, to plant a church and um, not necessarily to lead a worship team, but it's kind of part of doing it, Right? And it's part, of, it's part of the fun and the joy of walking forward in God's calling. So just because I lead worship here, like, and, and just because I'm talking about it today does not make me like the worship guy, okay? We all get to worship. Does that make sense? All right, sweet. <clears throat> um, and here we go. And if you, if, let's, say, let's say you had to lead worship. You're like, ah, oh, I'm not called. Well, but would you do it just because you love Jesus and you love people? I don't know, right? These are the types of questions we're going to start asking ourselves. And so um, here's something with, with leading worship and especially worship in the contemporary North American context, right? We can set up these. We get really good at the music part, right? Like laser beams, smoke machines, electric guitar, like sweet drums, right? We get pretty good at the music stuff. But what's the point of that, Right? Because what happens then is we, we get so enamored in the experience of creating this musical production that we forget what the point of that is. And actually then we can, we can start to chase after the experience of the musical production rather than the point of what it was for in the first place, which is to worship God in his presence. And so you may feel really nice 
but for all the wrong reasons. One of the, one of the saddest things to me that is that worship these days has basically been reduced to a genre of music. What does worship, what does worship music sound like? There come the pads, right? And then here comes that lead riff. You know, I don't know. There it comes. And then, oh, it's, oh, that's worship music. I know what it sounds like, right? Because we've reduced worship to a genre of music. It's sad. Where's our country worship music songs? First, yeah. That came out a little weird, but you get what I'm talking about. What about our, what about our, our, our worship music uh, that's actually jazz? You guys know I kind of like the indie rock stuff, right? Can we worship to a different, is, is worship limited to a genre of music? No way, right? I think we can say that. But we practically, we get caught up in it, right? I know theologically we understand it, but practically we get caught up in it and we just relegate it to a genre of music. It's sad. And that's why every once in a while I'll bring out a weird song for you guys. And you'd be like, what is that? It's not Hillsong. I don't know how to sing this. <laughs> All right. Uh, so here's the thing about, just, just to close that up, no matter what genre of music you're playing, right, God's just going to do what he wants to do. And so if we want to keep bringing in the pads and the electric guitar and the jet, that's fine, right? It's fine. Because God's going to do what he wants to do, and that's the big idea. And so my ultimate desire for us as a community on this issue is that we would find the ultimate joy in Christ that leads us to the fullness experience of our own humanity and the way that we creatively express that out in the world. There's a little bit of a mouthful, but does that make sense? Say it one more time. We find the ultimate joy in Christ that leads us into the fullness of our own humanity and creative expression. So, the passage we're going to use to get there is what Jamie just read. She literally just read the entire chapter. You're welcome. Getting lots of Bible this morning, all right? So, 2 Samuel 6 it's kind of a crazy story. Like, I don't know if you're keeping up with it because there was a lot and it, and, it, and it goes by quick, but it's kind of a crazy story. Like, people are dying. Ugh. And uh, so, some of us, in our minds, we're going to start to shift this morning. We're going to start to shift in the way that we think about worship through this crazy story. For some of us, it's just moving towards simple obedience. It's like, it's going to be, all right, instead of just, just standing there, like, kind of walk, looking around, it's going to be, maybe I'll, I'll like, maybe I'll sing, right? Just, like, simple obedience. Others in this room are actually going to move towards a greater, more creative expression in our response to the Lord, okay? In whatever that looks like for you. So here's, here's the thing, right? Did, when I said that, did that kind of freak you out a little bit? Be like... Ooh, like, that's not my personality type. Like, I'm just not like an expressive type person, and that's easy for you, but you don't know me. Like, don't judge me, right? I get, I get that stuff. Like, because there's basically two camps, right? And if you've, if you've widely traveled the church in North America, you'll see there's, there's one camp that's, like, very subdued and, like, 
Worship is all about reverence and dignity and coming before the Lord in honor. And so it's very subdued. And then the other camp is like crazy. Like they're all over the place. I've literally been in a church where people are like flopping around and everybody's talking at the same time. And people are waving flags. And, you know, you've seen it. They put helmets on because you never know what's going to happen, right? You can just... <laughs> I've been in a church like that. Like, this isn't just a YouTube video. There are some pretty funny YouTube videos out there of what goes on in some of these crazy churches, right, that are like that. And so you basically have these two camps. And so some of you, if you're in this camp, you're going to be like, don't judge me. I'm just not that way, right? And so for some of you in this camp, you're going to be like, be like yeah, I just do whatever I want. And so somewhere, both of these camps, for the people in there, we're going to have to come somewhere, somewhere in the middle because you need that. These people are right and wrong, and then these people are also right and wrong, right? And so hopefully, we learn something about worship this morning that leads us into the fullness of our own humanity and creative expression, okay? So let's, let's start with that. So here comes the story, right? So 2 Samuel 6, in verse 2, I'm going to simplify it a little bit. Um, and David arose and went to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. Let's stop right there. So there's a lot just in that, okay? Two questions, really. What is the ark, and why is David moving it around? Right? Let's figure that out. So really, um, so let's start with the Ark of God. So what is this thing? Well, it's basically a wooden box covered in gold, okay, that has, uh, that has two uh, angels um, facing each other with what's called the mercy seat in the middle. Um, and it's, it's usually kept in the tabernacle, which is the tent that represents uh, where the presence of God dwells in the midst of his people. Very important. Um, and, uh, and, the, and the very innermost part of that is called the Holy of Holies. And once per year, a priest could enter that place and they would, they would sacrifice an animal and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat on the Ark uh, of God to represent that one day God would send a sacrifice to atone for the sins of his people. Cool. Um, inside of this thing, there are, there's three things in there. There's a jar of manna, representing God's provision towards his people when he brought them out of slavery in Egypt. They literally had no food. They're just wandering the desert for a long time. And they're, what do we do? And they literally had to rely on God day by day to provide for them. So it represents God's provision. Number two, they have the Ten Commandments in there, representing God's law. And in another way to think about this may be the, God's relationship with his people, the way he chooses to have a relationship with his people, all right? And lastly, there's Aaron's rod in there. And Aaron's rod was kind of crazy because it would sprout out with like apples and stuff. Nuts, right? This totally miracle, this, this stick that would just apples. You're like, wow, it's a miracle, right? And this represents God's power. So in the Ark of the Covenant, three things that represent God's provision God's law or relationship with his people, and God's power. Very cool. So the ark is very important. Now, why is David moving this thing around, right? Like, you would think this is a pretty special thing. It's supposed to be in the holiest of holies. It's obviously not right now. And so what the heck is going on? To figure out why, we have to go back 
an entire book of the Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 5. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to go back an entire book to 1 Samuel chapter 5. Okay? Um, now, we have the people of Israel, and, uh, and I'll have to just skip some parts of it just so we can keep the train going, but they're basically being disobedient towards the Lord, all right? And, and they were going into battle against the Philistines, and because of their disobedience, uh, the Lord did not fight for them, and they lost the battle, okay? So they came up with this great idea. They're like, you know what? Uh, we will, since, since uh, God's presence has left us, we lost this battle, what we'll do is we'll just twist God's arm and we'll take the Ark of the Covenant with us into battle. And, uh, and yeah, this is, like, this is like our lucky charm, right? Like God will have to fight for us now. We can, just, we can just make God do what we want him to do. And so they take God into battle with, their, with the Ark of the Covenant and guess what happens? They lose, right? Here's something for all of us. You cannot make God do what you want him to do, all right? And he's certainly not a lucky charm, okay? So let's just keep that in our, in our mind as like a side note to the main thing, all right? And so they take it in the battle, they lose the battle, and they also lose the Ark of the Covenant. So the Philistines take it, like awesome, because you know what that means? We've defeated the God of Israel, we win. Our God, our God of war, Dagon, has defeated the God of Israel. And so what are we going to do? Hey, Philistine priests, look at this thing we got for you. Let's take this back to our, you know, our, our town. They take it back to Ashdod, and let's put it in the, in the, in the, uh, the temple of Dagon, and, uh, and we'll just keep this, and we'll put it under Dagon, and Dagon will stand over it to represent the fact that we defeated the people of Israel and the God of Israel. This is a big deal. Okay? So the priests, they go to bed that night, and they come back the next morning, and guess what? Dagon's laying prostrate on the floor in front of the Ark of the Covenant. So the priests come in, and they're like, that's a little bit weird. <laughs> uh, we did not leave him like that. What should we do? Well, maybe we'll just stand him back up, I guess. <laughs> I guess here's another side note for us, right? Do not worship a God that you have to stand back up. <laughs> How about that, right? Yeah, come on. <laughs> All right, so they have to stand him back up. And then they go to bed that night, and, uh, and they come back the next day, and, uh, and they guess what? They find him laying prostrate on the floor again. But this time, his head is cut off and his hands are cut off. Whoops. <laughs> and so... It doesn't say this is what it means, but maybe this is what this means, right? Maybe we shouldn't worship a God that cannot hear, it cannot see, it cannot speak, and has no mind to affect with its hands its will upon reality. It can't hear your prayers, it cannot comfort you with its words, it cannot see what you are doing, and it cannot affect its will in the world. Maybe that's what it means, I don't know. Come on, bro. Come on. Okay, so now they're freaked out. Because what else is going on is the, the entire uh, land is getting affected by, one, uh, they're getting ravaged by tumors. And the land is getting infected, uh, uh, infested sorry, with mice. Okay? So they get this idea. They're like, huh, maybe... Maybe it has something to do with this Ark of the Covenant. I don't know. Maybe. So 
what should we do with this thing? I have an idea. Let's re-gift it to our friends over in Gath. You like re-gifting gifts? Yeah. Well, there you go. So they re-gift the Ark of the Covenant to Gath. Okay? What do you think happens there? More tumors, more mice. Great re-gift. Thanks. Okay? So what do they do? Well, they re-gift it again, as anyone would do, right? It's this sweet golden box. You can't just throw it in the garbage, right? Okay, so they re-gift it to another town called Ekron. Their buddies over there, the Philistines in Ekron. It's another city. Okay, so they re-gift the Ark of the Covenant again, and guess what happens? More tumors, more mice. So they start to connect the dots, and they say, well, I have an idea. Maybe we should give it back. (laughs) It it just doesn't fit in the living room. It doesn't match the decor. We should just give it back to the Israelites. Is that a good idea? (laughs) Let's, Let's give it back. And so... But we can't just give it back. We need to really make sure that they know that we're sorry about taking this thing. So what do they do? They make little golden tumors and little golden mice and package them up and send it back with it. It's a little bit weird, weird, right? (laughs) It's a little bit weird. So they they get it and they load it up on this cart um, with the the ark and these, these five tumors and these five golden mice. And uh, if you're wondering what that might look like, like imagine if uh, my kid or your kid walked up to you with yellow Play-Doh and just was like, here you go, right? That's what it, it's probably what it would look like, a little tumor, just there you go. <laughs> and uh, okay, so now they're, now they're sitting there, they're going like, who's going to take this thing back? Like, look what it did to our cities. Like, I don't want to spend potentially days, with it. I don't know how long the journey was, um, potentially days sitting around with this thing on a cart and uh, maybe get lost in the middle of nowhere by myself with the Ark of the Covenant, like, I'm going to be Tumor City all by myself. No good. And as they're debating this, the cart just takes off all by itself. The cows just start pulling it exactly in the direction of Beth Shemesh. Okay? Pretty cool. Just goes back to Israel all by itself. Maybe God is doing something here, right? Okay, so now what happens? So the Ark, there's a lot of detail, I'm sorry, but it's, it's cool and it's fun, and uh, I think it is important. So here we go. So it goes back to Beth Shemesh, and the, the, the people who are working the fields there, uh, you know, see this thing come up, and they're like, wow, the Ark of God. Like, it just, it just came back. God returned his, what represents his presence to his people all on his own without them. They did nothing to conjure it. Interesting. All right? Because you can't manipulate God. God does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. All right, so it shows up. People in the farm fields, they rejoice. So what do they do? They break down the cart for firewood, and they, they, they slaughter the cows and sacrifice them before the Ark of the Covenant to, to celebrate that God has returned his presence to his people. Um, and, uh, and a bunch of people got interested. They're like, wow, like, I've never, I can only imagine this is how it went, right? I've never seen the Ark of the Covenant before. I'm going to go check it out. And so they wander over, and 70 guys decide to look in, and they die. <laughs> it's crazy, right? First and second Samuel, if you just have a reread, like, it's crazy. There's all sorts of stuff. Have fun with it. Um, and, uh, and so they die. So, so what happens there? Well, they say, this is the people of Israel now, we don't want this thing. So they say, we don't want this thing. So they send it off to another guy's house, um, Eliezer. And so they, they send it to his house. He takes it, and he has this thing in his house for 20 years. 
20 years, it just hangs out at Eliezer's house, the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, so now, now we're caught up to the story, right? So now we're in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And that was a lot, and I have no idea where I'm in my notes now because I didn't look at it. Okay, there we are. Okay, so 2 Samuel chapter 6. <clears throat> so this is what happens in verse 3. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, and Eliezer is a part of the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah, the son of Abinadab, was driving the new cart, okay? Verse, uh, verse 5, I believe, and David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps. What does this sound like? It's like they're having a worship service, right? Yeah, they got some electric guitars, some harps, some drums, some lyres, some keyboard, Right? They have a big old worship service. This is what it sounds like. What does it sound like? It sounds like they're doing the right thing, right? Get the Ark of the Covenant, you put it on this new cart, and you're going to bring it to the city of David, Jerusalem. It sounds like so the right thing to do would be to throw a worship service. Verse 6, And when they came to the threshing floor of uh, Nacon, and the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God to steady it. In verse 7, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error or irreverence, and he died there beside the ark of God. How would you react if you saw that? You're like, God, I'm doing all the right things. I show up on Sunday. I sing the songs, Right? And he saw that. Well, here's David's reaction. Verse 8, And David was angry because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah. Here's the great thing about the Bible generally, just as a general rule of thumb. It's not going to lie to you. It's not going to lie to you. The Bible's going to tell you the truth. It's going to tell you the truth about people's emotions, people's reactions to the Lord, how people think, and what they did. It's not going to lie. And David was angry. But this is God. God did this. David's angry. How are you? Are you angry with something that God is doing? Sometimes when we come to the Scripture it's going to offend us a little bit. This happened to David, even a dude who wrote Scripture, right? It's going to offend us a little bit. And it's okay to be honest about that. The, the thing that's going to make the difference is pressing forward despite your understanding in faith. And it's okay to work through. It's okay to have the emotions and work through them, right? Like, we're not, we're actually not the first people who have wrestled with these complex theological issues. Why do bad things happen to good people? That's a very silly, simple way of saying things, right? But generally, it summarizes the problem. 
right? We're not the first people. And so tons of people have written about this stuff and tons of people have wrestled through this stuff and some, tons of people have thought about it intellectually. And there's so much out there to actually reason with our doubts that we can figure these things out. But we just ignore it because we're just like, nah, I'm just angry with God right now. I'm not gonna figure it out, I'm not gonna bother. And, I, and, it's, and it's okay to work through the emotions. We, we have to figure out a way to push forward in faith despite it. Is that okay? And so, uh, just to sum that up, be careful of potential arrogance, thinking that we know, we know it all. The entire issue in this particular story is about God's holiness and Usa's arrogance, irreverence, error, right? What was I, like, it's hard to imagine exactly what Uzzah was thinking, right? Probably, like, okay, so we, we hit the threshing floor and the cart is teeter-tottering, you know, and maybe the ark of God is going to fall over, and so maybe I should help, help it out a little bit, right? So I'll just stick up my hand and just steady it. And so maybe he's thinking the floor, the dirt on the ground would dirty the ark. I don't know. Maybe it would damage the ark. I don't, I don't know. The arrogance here is, is potentially in thinking, and I don't want to dive into this part too much because I want to talk about something else, which is really the, the heart of what I want to get to today, but maybe, the, maybe part of the arrogance there is thinking that his own hand wouldn't dirty the ark because he's unwilling to admit his own sin. Like the world, the dirt, the ground, it didn't, didn't turn against God. We do. I don't know. So the thing is, like God had given specific instructions about how to carry this ark around and how to move it, right? So when it shows up on a cart, the people of God think, yeah, we'll just do what the Philistines do with their idols and we'll just load it up on a cart and move it. But actually God had given specific instructions on how to move it. He said, so what do you do? Well, there's little holes in this box on either side, and you stick poles through it, and people are supposed to carry it, right? Supposed to carry the ark, and with a cover over it, so that no one would be tempted to touch it directly, and this whole problem wouldn't have even happened in the first place, because we'd be worshiping the right God in the right way. Obedience, let's sum this up maybe real quick, obedience produces life, Disobedience produces death. Can we sum it up like that? Obedience produces life. Disobedience produces death. Here's the difference between Uzzah and Jesus, right? Jesus was obedient to the point of death so that we could come into the presence of God and have life. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Here's something about Jesus. When they came to the tomb and they found it empty, there were two angels sitting above the empty tomb, just like there are two angels covering the mercy seat on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, signaling the place that God would provide a sacrifice to atone for the sins of his people. It's 
beautiful. Maybe Jesus is that sacrifice, if you're still wondering today. Let's move on to verse 11. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of uh, Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. So when they sent this thing away, they sent it to Obed-Edom, to a guy who wasn't even a Hebrew. For three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Interesting, right? David sent this thing away in anger to someone who wasn't a Hebrew. And I think, you know, again, it's hard to say, but I think what God may be doing is showing David his true intentions for his people, that it's actually goodness and blessing and love. That's what he always wants for his people. Uh, Linnea was praying this morning, like, God, may we, I get in this picture of a, of a cup and it's being filled with pure water. And, and God, I feel like there's some people in our church that when they, when they see that cup, they just see, God, what you haven't done yet. Instead of seeing the full glass of clear water of all the things that you've done and all the ways that you're moving in our church and all of the goodness that you are pouring out is so beautiful. Such an amazing reminder of what I think God was trying to do for David right here in this passage. And, if, and, and David's heart changes. Remember, David is described as a man after God's own heart. He knows. He knew. Verse 12, and it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps. So what's the difference now? They're moving this thing around again. What's the difference? They're boring it and walking they realized they were not being obedient. And they repented and stepped forward in obedience and faith. There's the difference. And every six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. Now, that's a long trip. <laughs> anyway, not, not the point. But, 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 look. David is expressing his gratitude and worship towards the Lord in the way, in in obedience, in a creative way in which he feels is necessary at that time. Interesting, right? It's actually a lot of flexibility here. This is produced. This produces in David the fruit of the salvation that we know as Christians found in Christ. So what? So joy? Yeah, great rejoicing, freedom, forgiveness of sin. They decided to walk forward in obedience, excitement even for how we could worship God as we bring his presence back to his people in the city of David, Jerusalem. He's finally able to live free and not in fear of God. And oh boy, did he get creative. So what's coming up next um, is quite interesting. Verse 14, and he danced before the Lord in all his might. 
woo, right? I don't know what it looks like, whatever the dance moves are at the time. So, but with all his might, you know, some of us, some of us, we stand in worship and we're like this. That's me. That's you? Yeah. That's a lot of people. And so I decided I'm going to be different, right? So I do this. <laughs> right? And my wife likes to do this. <laughs> all his might. Like, what would it change, right? What would it change if we danced before the Lord with all our might? I don't know. Some transla- oh, and, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So some translations even go so far as to say basically naked, right? Like he's wearing his undermost garments, or at least, at least he's not wearing his royal garments, which he probably should have been wearing, right? It would be like if I just started, right? And a little pants down, and we just start dancing in our underwear, like right here, possibly. Maybe not that far, but something pretty far, right? Something at least that, we sh- that is not the normal thing that we would be doing in church, right? And especially not your parents' church, okay? They would look at this and just be like, oh my God, they started a cult. <laughs> All right. So at this point, I want to share something that God has been uh, teaching me for <clears throat> about... Since the fall, God spoke a word to me, and it, at first it was very personal. I was really wrestling with, like what, like, what does this actually mean? And God, is this for me, or is this for our church, or is this even, even more than that? I don't know. And, and so God just started just working on me and my heart on this. And this has to do, he said this. He said, be more creative. Be more creative in a nice, loving, fatherly sense that wants more from a son. Be more creative. And so, I, man, I've really, been, I've really been processing this, right? And so this topic and issue of creativity, um, I've been trying to work through. And <clears throat> so this is like, how far can you go with this in a short amount of time? So let's, let's start here. So, okay, so yes, we should be more creative. Where do we normally go? Does that mean like I should do more art things? I'm like, well, God, come on. My small business that I do on the side is painting, right? So like, what do you mean, be more creative? And even, even at, at the church, like, I do all the music, and I'm the worship leader, right? Like, so how do I be more, what do you mean, be more creative, right? Because that's the place we go, I think, at first, when we talk about creativity. But I think it's so much more than that, right? That, that inherently in being made in the image of God, we are creative beings, okay? What do, what do creative people do? Well, they... They bring something into reality that is beautiful, okay? And this doesn't just have to, have to be like a painting or a song or whatever, right? That actually, here's something, and the Lord started challenging me with this, and I'm still not there all the way yet, but God is, is working on my heart in this. Could I be more creative in how I interact with my own spouse? How about you? You fall into the same old routines with people? How about, can I be more creative in how I, how I steward and guide Blakely, my, my two and a half year old daughter, her path through life? And that includes like discipline, right? How about you parents? Do you just react the same old way every time? Let's be more creative, right? If we want the best and we're made in the image of God and we actually have the power inside of us to 
be creative and bring something beautiful into the world. What does that mean for how we think about complex sociological, political issues? I literally was sitting in a car with someone the other day and they brought up Donald Trump. And I was like, dude, I've listened to you for like three minutes now and it's not interesting. You're having the same conversation over and over and over and like, man, it's like low-hanging fruit. You're like grabbing the same low-hanging fruit that's easy to grab every time. And it's not interesting, and I do not care to have this conversation with you. Can we be more creative in how we think about complex issues? Can we be more creative in how we talk about them? Right? We like see an internet tweet and we're like, oh, I know everything about that now. And I know my position and I know my stance because somebody else said it. Think more, like, be more creative, right? Like, I fall in the same trap. This is the Lord working on my heart, right? Can we be more creative? Can we be more creative in how we deal with conflict? Let's bring something beautiful into the world instead of something that destroys, right? Let's be more creative. There's two senses of creativity. I'm going to go push it a little bit further and hopefully not run out of time, but I want to give you guys something. Like, I just, want to, I just want to really share with you guys what God has been doing in me since the fall. Right? Two senses of the word creativity in, the, in, in Hebrew. Right? One sense where uh, something comes out of nothing. Interesting, right? And the other sense is where you take something, you make it something else. Okay? So tree into table. Right? We did that at the New Common. Took a tree, turned it into some tables. Pretty cool. We got some nice tables at the New Common, if I do say so myself. Had some fun making them, right? Okay, now, this thing, this, this thing with taking something out of nothing. So we, like, my first thought on this is like, okay, God does that when he speaks creation into existence. It's beautiful. How do we do that? Can we do that? Is that even possible? I don't know. I haven't done all the, like, mind the depths of the theological studies that have been going on in this, because there's only so much time in the day, but I've been meditating, I've been praying on this, so, so, and if there is a sense in which we could do that as people, if that is possible, are we missing out on the fullness of our own humanity when we limit the sense in which we do that, bring, bring something out of nothing? Okay, I know, it's, it's, it's probably hard to follow along, but bear with me. So I started thinking about that. Is the closest thing I can get to with this, is it, so let's just start with how God does it, speaking. Speaking. Like, where do thoughts come from? Do any of you guys know about the brain? I really want to talk to you about how thoughts work. I don't know how thoughts work, and sometimes, to me, it seems like my own thoughts just come out of nowhere. I'm like, whoa, why am I thinking about that, right? <clears throat> but here's the thing. A thought is just a thought here and gone, right? Like the will of God actually makes itself manifest when he speaks creation into existence, and it's beautiful, okay? Look around, right? Look at those trees right there. Beautiful. Could you make that? I can't make that. It's beautiful. Okay. Maybe, let's just, let's just simplify it a little bit and not just get stuck on speaking, but the, like our own expression of ourselves as made manifest in the world, right? So I'm a being, and 
And I could stand there and do nothing. But instead, I choose to do something. How? Why? What? What do you do? How do you do it? Why do you do it? Can we be more creative with all of that? Why did I just move my hands like that? I don't know. Why did I, tell, why did I say I don't know like that? I don't know, right? But we're, because like, what is in me is just coming out of me, right? And I'm expressing myself into the world, okay? Let's be more creative about how we express. Because I think if we can tap into that, the fullness of joy experienced in Christ as image bearers may start to come to the, the fore. And maybe some of us are lacking joy these days because we're just stuck in the same old, same old. So I think maybe if we could connect it, that worship is literally how we express. Because think about this even. What has God been doing for all time before creation? If we could even say it like that, because he's eternal and exists outside of time. Let's just think, if there's ever a point in time where it's only Father, Son, Holy Spirit, what's going on? Eternal expression and interaction between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Trinity. Totally separate from the need and dependence on any created thing or being. Eternal expression, love from the Father, communication from the Son, affection from the Spirit all around. It's literally the Trinitarian life. Trinity life. So you say, Adam... I get it. And you're, you, you said some things of, theologically that are maybe complex, and I'm trying to chew on these things you're giving me right now. But like, I still am feeling a little bit like you're telling me to just raise my hands and worship a little bit more, right? So don't judge me, because I'm just not that way, right? That's fine. Look, look, I'm not trying to judge you, right? I'm not trying to judge you, because if that's true for you, that, if that's truly you, if that's truly you, like your expression, what I'm saying, do it in the way that is most full, creative, explorative, and joyful for you, right? But here's the thing. If I literally, if I came up to you and I was like, hey, come here. You're too far away and I can make the speaker. And I was like, hey, you see this envelope right here? It's a million bucks in there. That's for you. Take that. All right. So there's how Jamie does it, right? <laughs> how would you do it? What would, you, what would your reaction be? Like, literally, like, if you literally be like, you can sit back down. Okay. <laughs> if, you were, if you'd literally be like, hmm. Sweet. Like, if that's you, if you received a million dollars and that's your reaction, and then you didn't go hide in a corner somewhere, and, oh, yes! <laughs> right? <laughs> Right? Then I believe you, right? And I'm not, like, I'm, not, I'm not judging you. It's not about that. But how would you react if that's the case? And if, that, if that's not the case for you, if you wouldn't just be a total stonewall for a million bucks, maybe a million dollars is worth more to you than God's presence. Oh. 
And so over the next week, start thinking about all the things you do in your life and how you react to people, activities, situations, like, I don't know, movies, art. Think about how you react to your kids, right? Here's the thing for me. Do I get more excited about interacting with my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter than I do my wife or even you guys? Why is that? Why is that? I don't know. But start thinking about how you, how you react and interact with the things in your life, how you express yourself to the things in your life. And maybe that will change how we worship. Because I bet you there's something this week where you're like, you know what? I've, I express myself in a more creative, joyful, fun way there than I do in worship with the body of Christ to the Lord of all creation. Just think about it. So worship then becomes bigger, right? Becomes more about what you do with your time, what you do with your money. How do you treat the poor? Who do you hang out with most often? How do you respond to the things that God hates? Sin, injustice in the world. What do you teach your kids? What do you not teach your kids? What are you not teaching your kids right now that you should teach your kids? And what if your creativity in your own self-expression was being limited because of your own bitterness? And for Michael, David's wife, this literally is what's happening. And when we get to the end of the chapter, the very last line, we see it's so, it's so insidious in her life, it literally steals from her and robs from her her creative power as a woman to literally bring another life into the world. Wow. Wow. What is your bitterness and lack of creative thinking about issues or lack of compassion towards the body of Christ doing to your worship? Here, let's read it. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. And then all the people departed to their house. Random Bible fact. I'm going to try and wrap this up. A cake of raisins to the Hebrew folks is an aphrodisiac. And so the men and the women departed each to their own house after. What do you think happened? (laughs) Of course, the men and the women paired up with their husband and wife. Okay? No funny ideas. 
Because here's the truth. Their worship led to fruitfulness because of life-giving intimacy among God's people. Wow. Wow. And like the story continues, Jamie read it, right? But this is what happened. Like you ask yourself, why is the line like that in here? And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her birth, right? Why is that there? Because of, maybe because of what happened previous, right? Worship led to fruitfulness and life-giving intimacy among God's people. And so let's respond today as we worship. As we come, like, if you touch this bread after hearing this story, do you think you may fall down dead? What about this book? Are we like Uzzah? What about this juice? Are we like Uzzah? Let's respond in repentance and faith so that we can experience more of the wholeness of our own humanity found in Christ, so we can actually become expressive beings, expressing ourselves out into the reality that we experience and see something beautiful happen. Something beautiful. So let's respond. And the community deacons are gonna come up and I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing. And let's just see what happens. Like I was already bawling like a baby in those first songs. Like, man, like when God's spirit comes in, life-giving intimacy, I literally, I stopped singing and I heard the thunder of the voices behind me and I just burst out bawling. It's beautiful. Let's see what happens. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you are a God of intimacy. You're a God of creativity. That God, may we be a people of worship who experience something amazing and beautiful in your presence. May we not neglect obedience because of fear and doubt or anger and bitterness, but actually come into the fullness of joy, the abundant life that Christ came to give. Through, through this, in his name we pray, amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.